Welcome to She Wakes Up, a podcast where you are granted permission to rise above your past, crush your fear and self-doubt, and go after the future of your dreams. I know life has taken over and has driven you to a place where you feel lost and scared and you have no idea how you got here. You just feel stuck in your job, relationships, motherhood, all of it. I see you and you're in the right place. I'm your host, Stacey Feeling, and I'm so pumped to have you here. I've been where you are. I was lost in abuse, finances, anxiety, poor health, you name it. I was up and down for years trying to fix myself on the surface. What I found was the real damage in need of fixing came from the inside. And so it was. If this is you, come hang with me. Grab a drinky drink and maybe a pint of some ice cream because we are skipping the small talk and getting right to the juice. Because girl, it's time to wake up. Christine is a psychologist and a podcaster and really just a psychological ninja. So welcome, Christine. Can you introduce yourself and tell all the listeners kind of your background and what it is that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Yeah, Christine Jehu, Dr. Christine Jehu, if you will. Um, I am a clinical sports psychologist, so my day job is doing mental health, general counseling, and sport performance work with division one student athletes. Um, and I've worked in college mental health my entire career. So my master's degree is in sports psychology and my PhD is in counseling psychology. So that's where I get the two sides of the house and the whole psychological ninja piece is, um, been an athlete my whole life and I have a black belt in karate. So the black belt plus the PhD is like truly, I'm a psychological ninja. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. And we know not to mess with you. Yeah. I tell the students, like when I have them do a fun fact, I always tell them that and I'm like, so don't fuck with me. (laughs) Right. I love it. That's awesome. So how is it that you help the athletes? Like what did you see as an athlete yourself and what kind of pushed you towards this direction that you had gone in? Yeah. You know, I, I don't really know if it was anything specific about my experience as an athlete. I mean, there certainly are times when my like self-doubt or my comparison with other people held me back from reaching my fullest potential in soccer specifically. Um, and so I was a division three athlete. I, I'm such a nerd. I like went to college to do the school thing. And I was like, soccer is going to get in the way of my dreams. And then I got to school and I was so bored (laughs) that I walked up to the soccer coach after a game one day and I was like, hi, so you were recruiting me and I want to play. And like the next day I was at practice and it was, it was pretty great. You can't do that at a division one program, (laughs) but at a a small D3 school, it was totally possible. Um, But yeah, it was the summer leading into my junior year that I somehow discovered athletic counseling in the field of sports psychology. And I was like, oh my gosh, sports and psychology, two things that I love and are foundational to who I am. If I can do that as a career, then let's go. And so it was literally, it took 15 years from learning about the field to landing the job that I'm at now. So it's a very long road (laughs) journey. Yeah. I mean, getting your PhD is just a journey in and of itself, but then 
you know, you add in, and you want to try to find that space that you want, right? Because you don't want to have a job, quote unquote, you know, you want right. to love what you're doing, especially if you're going to go through all of that to then end up not liking what you're doing. So that's phenomenal that you found that space. And it sounds like you're really kind of hitting where all those athletes really need you. And I think that's an important space to be in. And I, like for me, it's not something that you hear of often. So it's right. really cool, especially in the mental health space right now where, clinicians are limited anyways, but then to have that specialty too, like you must be fully booked all the time. Are you? Yeah, <laughs> I really, I mean, it's thankfully it's summer. And so the students go, um, you know, it's, it's different this year because during the pandemic, we were still serving people across state lines. So our licensure is bound, you know, by our state lines, but everyone flex that during the pandemic. So, um, I was fully, fully booked pretty much in the summer 2020 and 2021. Mm -hmm. And then this year, because we're not practicing across state lines anymore, it's so chill. But what <laughs> I think maybe the students don't know, but like we are, I use the summer to plan for the entire year because once the athletes start coming back for preseason, you don't have downtime. I mean, if, if there's a couple free hours in the calendar during the week, it's, oh my gosh, it's like golden time yeah. <laughs> to get in and read articles or catch up on things. So, I mean, we're doing all kinds of projects right now. It's, it's wild, but, but so fun. Like I'm such a nerd. It's like, I, I'm like so excited to just go and do projects for three hours in a row. <laughs> I love that though. I tell myself, I'm just going to be a lifelong learner because I'm going back for my master's in psychology actually right now. And ah, um, cool. So I just love it. I love to just yeah. expand my brain and you know, I'm, I'm nerdy too. And I like to, I don't always like to read articles, especially when I'm in school because I get a little burnt out, but I love <laughs> to just research and yeah. So I feel you and it's cool. I love it. Yeah, um, and it so how do you find time to be a podcaster? Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? <laughs> what is it you do? And does it expand on your profession? Yeah. So, um, I, <laughs> I had toyed with the idea of starting a podcast for a handful of years and I, <laughs> I'm laughing because when I was in grad school, I was like, I'm not going to be the lesbian psychologist that like studies gay stuff. And then I wrote my <laughs> dissertation on homophobia in sport. And, and, and so then I was like, I want to start a podcast, but I don't want to do it about psychology. And then what do I do? I start a freaking mental health podcast. And so the podcast is um, beyond the couch. It's mental health conversations without the psychobabble. One of my goals in life is for people to meet me and be like, wait a second, you're a psychologist. Like, I really want to break the mold of what people think of when they think of psychology and really bring mental health to the people and help folks understand what it actually means to go to therapy. Um, so I have like clinicians on the show that talk about what it's like to work with them. We share mental health hero stories, um, all kinds of stuff, right? And it, as you know, right, this stuff evolves um, as we evolve and how I find time. I don't know. Honestly, it's like, <laughs> I think Saturday mornings are kind of my sweet spot of when I get behind the mic and share things and edit and, um, but yeah, it's, it's so fun for me. It doesn't really feel like a burden, um, to, to get behind the mic and, and share some of this stuff. Yeah. 
it's awesome. I love podcasting too. And you just get to kind of do it in your PJs or whatever. Nobody's watching yes. you, you know, no pants, you know. <laughs> right? <laughs> just let it all hang out. It is the best. I think that's awesome. And you know, you're speaking on your profession and that's kind of your niche. That's where you shine. And I think that's just an awesome space to offer. And I love that you are taking all of that stigma away from the mental health space because that is so needed. And what an awesome psychologist in like mental health space that you're in, because um, I would sign up to just chat with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that but, means so much. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And I just think that, like I said, your niche is super important too. And I just love yeah. what you're doing. So thanks for sharing that. Now, I know, you know, we bring guests on the show to talk about some of that stuck that we've been in in life. And as a therapist, I'm sure you know all of the stuck <laughs> and therapists get stuck too. So can you talk a little bit about what that looked like for you um, when that happened? And we'll kind of go from there and pick it apart a little bit because I want to hear the backstory and then I want to hear how you as a therapist overcame that. And of course, for your story, you weren't a therapist at the time you were going through this. You were kind of in the mix of it all. And then maybe like reflect back a little bit. So let's start from the beginning and yeah. tell us a little bit about what happened. Sure. Well, I'll try to, I'll try to hit the highlights. Sure. Um, you know, I mentioned before that from the point at which I discovered the field of sports psychology, it took 15 years to land this job. And I, I want to share that because we live in such a fast-paced world now and with you know you can pull up an app and get anything delivered at your doorstep in 30 minutes to three days right unless you live in the middle of the nowhere so sorry about those folks um, <laughs> but I'm like outside of Philadelphia and so like I could get things there's like there's probably like six Amazon warehouses within 10 miles of where I live. It's wild. It's crazy. I've never seen something like that. Grocery before. delivery, like all of it. You can literally all have fast stuff. food delivered to you now. So you don't even have to get up off the couch if you don't want to. Yeah. It's wild. It's so wild. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of people see me in the position that I'm in and think, oh my gosh, it must be nice when this really it was a long time. So I discovered the field before my junior year. So that's two more years of undergrad. Then I took two years off after undergrad. And literally I just partied for two years. If I'm being completely honest. I worked a retail job and partied, <laughs> um, but I needed to, I needed to I say much needed though. Just give yeah. me a break. Yeah. And then I went and got my master's degree, which was a two year degree and then moved 12 hours from home to Memphis, Tennessee, and got my PhD um, at the University of Memphis. And that took five years, that program. So I was seven years of graduate school. And then I worked at another university prior to this job. But so some of the, the challenges within that really kind of compartmentalize during my PhD program. So the summer between my master's and my PhD, my father was diagnosed with stage four liver cancer and was given six to eight months to live. And he ended up living for four and a half years, which was incredible. But he was also 12 hours away from me. So people were asking me like, are you going to defer your admission? And I said that to my dad and he goes, what are you going to do? Sit around and watch me die? He was like, go get your degree, kid. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I move 
dad's battling cancer. It's literally like every six months is this roller coaster of chemo treatments, new scan, see how he's responding. All the while, I'm trying to get a PhD and that stuff is not easy. (laughs) Um, So then in that time too, I was in a relationship that I thought was with the person that I was going to be with for the rest of my life. And then we ended up breaking up. Um, It was devastating to me. And I'm a person that when, when I have heartbreak, I like literally can't eat and I... (laughs) This might be TMI, but I shit my brains out. And so for like sure. three months, yeah. I couldn't eat and everything that I did get put in me went right through me. And I, I literally went from a size eight to a zero in a matter of like two months. So that was a bit traumatic on the body. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and that person, when I was dating that person, their father died suddenly was like diagnosed with cancer on December one and was gone by the middle of January. So that was traumatic. And then our relationship ended. Um, and so then I, our final year of our program, we have to do basically like med school match, but it's for psychology. Mm -hmm. And so I was, um, very fortunate to match at my top choice, which meant I got to move back home. And so I was 30 years old living in my parents' basement, like legitimately I was living in their basement, (laughs) but that was also (laughs) the year that my dad died. So I moved back home. My, um, my dad dies at the end of October. A week later, my mom's brother suddenly passed. I, at the point we knew that my dad was, um, nearing death, I called his father to let him know that this was happening. So he started rapidly declining. Mm. So we go to visit him to say goodbye. I end up in the hospital in Georgia the week of Christmas because I had rhabdomyolysis Mm. from a workout that I did with a trainer. So the week of Christmas, I'm in the hospital out of state. That that academic semester, I had a really bad relationship with my clinical supervisor. So my professional confidence was completely obliterated. So fast forward to the new year, I get out of the hospital, all of that's fine, but I have lost all of the muscle in my body. Like I got back to the gym and I was lifting one pound weights and I could do like three reps and had to stop. I mean, it was, it was bad. And I was a fitness fanatic when I left Memphis, I was teaching five spin classes a week and playing soccer and lifting weights and doing all the things. So I was like in the best shape of my life, better shape than when I was a college athlete (laughs) to basically not being able to lift anything. It was, it was horrible. So new year's comes couple weeks in my grandpa Jehu dies. Couple months later, my mom's dad dies Oh my God. All the while, I don't know if you heard in psychology of the Hoffman report, but it was this whole thing where um, psychologists were being accused of torture at Guantanamo. And so we had this big investigation. Well, I was in a leadership role at like some of the highest levels of the American Psychological Association. And all hell is breaking loose there during this time when I'm also trying to Oh, mind you, my godfather also was battling cancer at the same time. 
He's my mom's brother. So the organization is on fire. Everyone around me, every important male figure in my life is like dying or is sick. Um, except my brother, my brother was healthy and, oh, I was trying to finish my dissertation, find a job and finish my degree. <laughs> and so I did all of that and then got a job, you know, finished, defended my dissertation, got a job, um, moved again and the job sucked. It was the, one of the most unhealthy places I've ever worked. I was coming out like very excited and passionate and ready to, you know, take on the world and change some lives. And people didn't like me because I was ambitious. And I was like very quickly, they tried to put me in my place. And so I was at that job for just over four years and tried to leave a bunch of times, but you know, the universe has its ways. Cause I was trying to, I was a training director and I was trying to get training director positions. And then all of a sudden I was at a pride parade or like a pride festival. Mm-hmm. We were day drinking. Everybody's passed out in the hotel room <laughs> and I'm like wide awake. Cause I don't nap. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to make a LinkedIn profile. So I like make a LinkedIn profile. I was like, What's all the things you could have chose to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> Love it. It's a little, a little drunk in the afternoon, <laughs> making a LinkedIn profile. And I just searched sports psychology and the job that I have now is the very first thing that popped up. And I was like, Oh, this, this job was written for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, <laughs> those are the highlights. So <laughs> that's incredible. And literally everything that could have fallen apart was, and you push through that. And you found a way to just navigate all of that. And I can't imagine the emotional roller coaster that you were riding along with that mental, you know, the physical that you were going through, all of it. Yeah. And how you were able to just come out in one piece, you know, and like you said, the universe has a way of working itself out. And I'm a huge believer in that. And everything happens for a reason. Looking back, you know, you can reflect on that and you can see. what you were able to do and how you were able to overcome and how much stronger it really made you in the end. But when you're in that, it seems like you're never going to get out, you know, and you just question everything. Like, like you said, should I go to school? Should I keep going? What, what are my priorities? What do I do now? And then you start to question like, what is going on in my life that all of this is happening around me? You know, it's gotta be hard to kind of separate yourself away from that and not really get in the middle of all of what was happening. So what, what was working for you? Because obviously you were able to climb up out of that. Yeah. You know, I have been thinking a lot about this because when I was in it, I don't think I realized just how much was going on in my life. Right. Because I had this singular focus of completing my degree. And are you an Enneagram person? I am. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a three same achiever, like (laughs) probably not shocking. Right. I do all, all these things. And so it just, it, there wasn't any other option in my mind, right? Mm -hmm. Like getting a PhD was almost a lifelong dream, right? When I was in um, undergrad, I knew I was going to go study psychology. I was going to get a PhD. I had no idea what that meant. Um, but I, 
I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And I think part of it too, is that athlete mentality that, you know, I had been an athlete my whole life, martial arts, diving, dance, soccer, a little bit of gymnastics. Um, so I was used to facing challenges and pulling on my strengths and using those as the platform to spring forward and to be that platform that I would fall back on when I didn't know what else to do. Um, and yeah, so I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And in the last year, like when everything was going down, I, I made a conscious decision not to face my grief. Um, and for better or for worse, because I think I'm really just now entering the, the true like belly of the grief journey from losing my father. Um, but I know myself well enough that if I didn't get up and keep going, that I wouldn't have finished and I would have fallen into a really deep depression and it wouldn't have been pretty. And so we had his celebration of life and I don't know, it was like two days later, I was on a train up to Washington DC for a business meeting and I couldn't tell you anything that happened at that meeting, but I showed up and I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. I started surrounding myself with, um, people who kept me stimulated. Mm -hmm. Um, so being in that leadership role, I think was one of the saving graces during that time, uh, because it grounded me and it was people, I was around people who didn't necessarily know my clinical work, but knew me as a leader and knew my vision for psychology and what I wanted to accomplish in the role that I was in. And they cared about me and the service. And so it was, it was a nice break to go to a different city and see some new faces. Um, but it gave me purpose. And I knew that at, in that service, so I was the chair of the American Psychological Association for Graduate Students. So I was there to speak for all graduate students in psychology and early career psychologists. Cause at that point I was an ECP and I was the only voice at the table for students and early career psychologists. So that was my purpose. That was my drive. So I showed up for them, even if I felt like garbage or didn't think I knew what I was talking about. I knew that I could advocate and that that was my job. Um, and I just stepped into it full force. Yeah. And I, like, I just keep hearing you say, basically, for one, you were really passionate about what you were doing. So that space that you were in was fueling you because you enjoyed it. You really loved what you were doing. You were committed. You wanted to not only show up for the people that you were serving and speaking to, but you were kind of showing up for everybody else around you too. Um, you know, not disappointing. Nobody wants to disappoint and feel like a disappointment. And you didn't want to do that to yourself either. And like you yeah. said, if you would have just stopped, you would have felt that because you wouldn't have finished. And then, mm -hmm. you know, who knows what would have happened. But, um, so I think that that motivation, that passion, and the fact that you're an Enneagram three, I'm the same way. I always have, my schedule is full all the time. And I'm like, when I look at it, it's overwhelming. I'm like, I don't have two hours today to do anything because it's so full. But if I didn't have that, 
I'd go crazy because I didn't have yes. enough to do, you know? Right. So I feel like that definitely you and I are liking that. And I can see how that would just keep pushing you forward. Cause you're like, I got to stay busy when you're busy, you help to, you know, keep your mind off of those things that could potentially take you down. So I, I think you just had like a really good kind of potion in your back pocket that just worked for you to kind of help yeah. get you through that, you know? And I, th I don't think it was one specific thing. It sounds like it was a combination of a lot of things and, um, you know, for those people who aren't like us in that personality or, um, maybe haven't found their passion yet. Right. Because the, what I talk about a lot in this podcast is trying to help people find themselves again, especially when you, you change with, you know, a spouse or a job or you become a mom and life changes, you really do struggle sometimes to find yourself. Yeah. Do you have anything to offer anybody that might be going through similar or has gone through similar and may not have that same, um, the fire, I guess that yeah. you had that was lit the entire time. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it, it was like a fake fire, right? Not like <laughs> it was like the, the gas fireplace that you just flip the switch and it's like, ha, surprise, right? Like it wasn't always like pure fire. Um, you it's know, I, yeah, I made a commitment to myself when I started my PhD program that I would never ask a client to do something that I wasn't willing to do myself. And so I took the personal growth and the building of my foundation very, very seriously. <clears throat> so in addition to going after all of the things, I made sure that I was exercising that my, um, I like, listen, I don't know how, like I did all the things right in grad school. I got eight hours of sleep. Most nights I was exercising like four to six times a week, sometimes multiple times a day. Um, and I was like actually eating healthy. I learned how to eat healthy in grad school. Like, I don't know. That's the ninja. Like as I'm okay. saying this, I'm like, this is backwards. <laughs> yeah. It's just a ninja in you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what the listeners can't see is behind me, I've got two bookshelves full of books and this started probably right at the end of grad school. And so I just started leaning into what helped me feel like me. So playing soccer again, I started reading books for fun because you read all of the articles and sometimes none of it's fun and sometimes all of it's fun. So I just, I think I started reading the hunger games in grad school. Now that messed with my sleep because I could never put those things down and I would read before bed. <laughs> uh, but I started journaling practices, all of those pieces that have taken on different iterations throughout my life. And honestly, journaling became one of the things post-grad school and in those four years of that job that was really challenging that became part of my therapeutic process. And I like to share this, um, how I got into it. Cause a lot of people tell me like, I just feel silly when I sit down to write or what is it about? I literally had to journal in marker for probably three years and I could never use the black marker or the blue marker because it was too much like academics for me. Mm -hmm. And so the marker and the color 
got me out of my academic mind and freed me up to just explore what I needed to explore. And today I'm happy to say that I don't have to journal in marker, but I still journal in colored pen. <laughs> yeah, me too. I love it. It just kind of sets the tone, you know, whatever mood I'm feeling, you know, it's, it does, it helps yeah. kind of brighten it, make it a little bit more intimate, but yeah, I agree with you. I love journaling too. And I think it is, it's just the hardest to get started because a lot of people don't even know how to put pen to paper or what to write about. Um, yeah. Do you have a journal that you favor? Um, I just use like an open, just like whatever sort of notebook is like speaking to me for the year. Um, I used to do a practice where at the beginning of the month, I would number the pages or would like number a page one through 30 or 31, however many days there were. And so in the morning I would open up to that page and reflect back on the day before and write down at least one good thing that happened because I was in this season where everything just seemed like it sucked. And so I needed to bring in some gratitude and so I would have that on one side and then the other side would be an open page where whatever I was reading, if I, I would pull out quotes. So it was cool throughout the year, I could go back in and see what was speaking to me in that season and then what good things were happening. Um, I don't do that piece anymore, but I still, I put tabs of the months through my journals so I can quickly go back to, you know, a time that I might want to reflect on what I'm writing. But I did just finish reading Mel Robbins, The High Five Habit. And at the back of it, she has a, um, like a journaling practice that she takes you through a grounding exercise and then has you do a brain dump and then five things that you want in that day. And it could be like the new car to the relationship to a cup of coffee, like whatever it is that you want in that moment. And then the action steps to take for it, but the like nitty gritty pieces. And then she encourages you to do some visualization around those tiny steps, which is actually how like manifestation happens. So I have been doing that for the last two days and it's actually been pretty cool. That's awesome. And that's what I love about it too, is there's so many different ways to journal. And I yeah. like, I think for somebody getting started, especially somebody that's really trying to figure out, you know, what their next step is, is to do what you just said is to reflect back on the day and find one good thing. Cause not everything is good, but there is good in all things. Right. So if we can just find whatever that one good thing is, and then it's a great way to track progress. So when you're in that nitty gritty of thinking that, Maybe it's not as bad as what you think it is for you, for example, or you're just feeling like you're never going to escape it to be able to look back a year from then. And then to say, wow, look at how much I've actually gone through and overcome, yeah. you know, to, so to, yeah. to be able to reflect back on that, I think is a very powerful tool to just have yeah. so I like your advice on that one. Absolutely. Sure. And I would say like part, part of what helped me in that season of work in the crappy job was I was, I was throwing my hat out there for like all these things at work. Cause I was like, something has got to click, like something has got to get me excited. And then I don't even know what it was, but I was like, Christine, you've got into this field to be a sports psychologist. And yeah, I was like doing some things with one of our teams and the athletes found me because my bio had, you know, that I had that specialization. Um, but I wrote down like affirmations for the year. And the very first one was, I will be the head sports psychologist at a division one university. And I read that every single day. And honestly, 
of all of the things that were on there, that was the one that I was most connected to. Yeah, there was stuff on there about like paying off debt and blah, 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 blah. But like the psychology thing was what I wanted. And so that was probably on there for six months before the drunken LinkedIn profile creation happened. (laughs) And what happened was that was planted in my head. And so when something would come up at work that, you know, they would need a committee for this or somebody to spearhead that. And normally I would be their go-to person. I would stop myself and ask, how is me doing that going to get me closer to being the head sports psychologist at a division one university? And if there was no part of that, then I would say, no, that's how I helped set my boundaries that were in alignment with my goals and aspirations. And then six months later and a couple beers, you know, you find, you find the dream job on LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like it was anyways, you know what I mean? Like what, really made you create that LinkedIn profile, something, you know, like on a fly, but there is meaning behind it. I think that's so cool how it fell into place. And that just goes to show you like one, your brain is so powerful Two, if you really just keep putting one foot in front of the other, good things will happen. You just have to believe they are going to, and you have to take action because staying stagnant and doing nothing isn't going to get you any closer to where you want to go. And then what you said in the beginning about how people say, oh, it must be nice. I hate that. I really, really do. If you only knew. (laughs) No freaking clue what somebody goes through to get to good or bad. You know, so I never, ever want to first compare myself to anybody because I don't know, just because they have what I would like to have doesn't mean that I want to go through what they had to go through to get there. Exactly. And then to say, oh, must be nice. It's like you... I almost didn't get here. You know, you have no idea what the struggle is. You just see that, that degree on the wall, you know, you have no clue what the journey was to get there. So that's awesome. You have no idea how many times I almost called the people to quit, you know, like that was, that was the joke in, in our program, right? Is anytime somebody said, okay, call the people, you'd say, okay, talk to me tomorrow because in 24 hours it would pass. But like everyone, everyone needed to quit at least once a month. (laughs) part of the process. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, like I said, I'm going for my master's right now, but in my undergrad, I went to nursing school and that's like one of the hardest oh. undergrads to get. Gosh. Yeah. I wanted to quit multiple times myself. So I can only imagine probably multiple times a day. <laughs> <laughs> and the drinking was for real. Like I had to, I had to do something to get out of that space because it consumed me. Yeah. And so I could just yeah. imagine what the PhD program was for you. And then to be consumed by you know, all that loss that was happening around you. I mean, it just goes to show you how strong you are and how amazing and powerful you are to help other people too, to navigate that space. So we appreciate you and the work that you're doing. And I'm so glad that you made it. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. (laughs) Um, You know, and like, I always like to say too on the show, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm speaking to somebody that might be like three to five steps behind me, but that doesn't mean that I got it all figured out. And just because right. you're in the psychological space doesn't mean that you have it all figured out. Oh, we're, hell all, no. <laughs> we're all going through our own thing, right? We're all fighting our own battles. So I think that's important to recognize too. Um, yeah. It's been a pleasure having you and I'm super excited to just keep following your journey and see what amazing Thanks. things that you do. If somebody wants to reach out to you, Christine, can you share with them how they can do that? Yeah, absolutely. So my, I'm on Instagram. 
Um, it's at the real doctor. So D R J U J E H U. Um, I will be honest that part of my self care is to not be posting all of the time, but I'm there. I answer my DMS. Um, so come connect with me. And I also have a free, um, I think I gave you this, like, it's a quick start guide to how to, how to find a therapist. Mm-hmm. Cause so many people were asking me, Hey, can you recommend a therapist? And I'm like, okay, well, I have 9,000 questions for you about what you're looking for. And so that guide, there's a PDF and a video that just walks you through some of the logistical pieces, walks you through where to go and look to find somebody. And then it gives you some journal prompts to start get the getting the wheels turning to be prepared to step into your first few appointments to share what it is that you're looking for. So, um, if I didn't give you that link already, I could give it to you. You could put it in the show notes, but it's also in my Instagram. Yeah, you did. And I will definitely awesome. put it in the show notes. Um, right. And for those of the listeners that kind of have, you know, cause the psychological space can be a little bit confusing. Um, mm-hmm. Can you just differentiate like psychiatrist versus psychologist and yep. you know what the differences are and what um, when somebody's looking for that help, where would they turn to based on that profession? Sure. So psychiatrists are going to be our medical doctors who prescribe medication. Some of them will do a little bit of therapeutic work. So you may have like a 30 minute appointment versus a 15 minute appointment. Um, But that's who you want to go to if you're um, looking for medication. There are also psychiatric nurse practitioners who um, have prescribing privileges. And then some psychologists in some states have prescribing privileges, but they will make it very clear if they do that. I do not, nor do I ever want to touch that world. (laughs) 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 On the other side, you know, uh, somebody who is practicing um, psychotherapy and calls themselves a psychologist is going to have a doctoral degree in psychology Now you can get therapy from a host of people. You could get them from clinical psychologists. You can get them from um, licensed clinical social workers. You could get them from um, licensed professional counselors, right? Just please make sure you're getting therapy from somebody who's licensed or is supervised by somebody who is licensed, right? There are a lot of folks out there who are going through their training and they're under the supervision of somebody. that's going to be really important to make sure that you're getting like true grounded theory care, um, by somebody who hopefully knows what they're doing (laughs) and therapy. I I say therapy, finding a therapist is kind of like dating. There's a lot of research that shows that the therapeutic relationship is the key driver, um, in the change process because it's about relationships and you need to feel safe with the person that you're working with. Now there's a difference between that uncomfy feeling you get when you're like, "Mm, this person is going to challenge me. Stay with that person, right? Like if you want to grow and if you want to be well, stay with that person. But if you truly don't feel like you can share with them, what I call like the deeper layers of your iceberg under the water, then it's okay to find somebody else because you need to have emotional safety. Um, But it's also not like going out for a drink with your bestie because you need to be challenged and you need to learn in that process. Yeah. 
I'm so glad I asked you that question because I just feel like there's a lot of confusion around that and what you just offered was gold. So for somebody that is looking for that, I mean, they have those resources now. And then with that link, hopefully that we can get them connected with the right person. And yeah, definitely, you know, personalities are different and um, based on what your needs are and what they're specializing in, you know, there's a whole clue, like you said. So make sure to just- Specialization is so key, right? And all of the, like the platforms that I take you to, you can drill down, right? Like if you're looking, if you need like eating disorder treatment, or if you're looking for like couples therapy, you got to find somebody who knows how to do that. Like I don't work with kids, right? I was not trained to work with anybody under the age of 16. So like, don't come to me if you want help with your kid, right. <laughs> unless well, you want them to kick the ball better. Too. Like throw that out there right away and say, don't come to me. I'm not your person. If you yeah. are, you know, a child, that's just not who I work with. And that's okay. We, if you're not an expert in every area, right? You can't be exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you again, Christine, for being here. And yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. And like I said, I can't wait to continue to follow your journey. And I know that you're going to get a lot of followers out of this. So, oh, thank you. You're welcome. All right. We'll talk soon. Awesome. I've been